there, uh, Graham Norton here. Thank you for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast with Waitrose. Let's take a look at the delights we've got for you this week. Leslie Manville gives us an insight into the mysteries of the brand new BritBox adaptation of Magpie Murders. Erin Doherty, you know, Princess Anne in the Crown, joins me in the studio to tell us all about the new BBC thriller Chloe. TV presenter Kate Humble swapped the farm for the kitchen in her brand new cookbook, Home Cooked. And former doctor turned comedian Adam Kay fills us in on taking his memoir, This Is Going to Hurt, to television. Show chef Martha gets her green on for a risotto and whips the rhubarb out for a beautiful Sunday tart. But before all of our fabulous guests, let's catch up with Maria and solve some more of your great. Guide dilemmas. Yes, she's here. It is me, a little block of ice sitting in the corner. But you look quite sunny. Oh, thank you very yeah. much. No, because you're actually you've chosen your light very well there. And that's my demeanour coming out of my soul. Oh. You understand? You know, you look like a Renaissance painting. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, is that what you're saying? Yeah. I look old. No, no, no. Just in need of renovation. I loved seeing your show last night. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, um, where there's just one man. It was just Taron Egerton and the rest were all chicks. Yay. Yes, they were. That must be a first. No. Oh. No. You've no. had all women before. Yeah, we've had all women before. And Very, yeah. very good show, yeah. I thought. Uh, it was a nice show. Um, I, but the person I loved was Lola Young. I was just, I talked about her earlier. The singer. The singer. Well, she was so blown away to be there and you can't kind of fake that, that sort of enthusiasm. You know, like I felt slightly Courtney Cox was sitting there like the old timer. Yeah, yeah, I've done all this before. Friends, blah, blah. <laughs> um, and whereas she was just the you know, unbridled excitement and enjoyment of it all. But, uh, but I thought it was And a lo- great voice. Yes, but I thought what was lovely was the other kind of kind of I think you're right but then the others kind of went oh yeah this used to be fun Aww. yeah you, oh yeah you said oh I remember being like that yeah they get very jaded quickly in show business me don't thinks. we don't we don't we, <laughs> don't yeah, we just Graham, I have to tell you you know last week I was talking about me sort of helping to talk organize... about you yes <laughs> yes, yes I remember part. that that's part. no helping to organize a dog rescue with a little dog from Spain oh, uh, um, called uh, Sally, Sally Phillips Sally, Sally Phillips, Phillips exactly yes. well it didn't go quite according to plan because I took I, I picked the wrong photo and it wasn't the dog that I thought it was that I was flashing about on Twitter and everywhere to the friend who I wanted to adopt no, it. Do you know what that is so weird you say that? Why? Because I saw the picture you put up. Yeah yeah and I thought that looks nothing like the picture I saw <laughs> and I thought, oh that dog looks adorable. <laughs> this is my first error. <laughs> so, so you just chose a picture of a dog on some Cadbury's chocolates. That I thought looked nice. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to adopt this dog? <laughs> this is a picture of a dog. <laughs> Are you interested in something like this? So they arrived. Jane came down. Jane Busman came down with her mum and the dog. And uh, my friend who was going to adopt just obviously took this little tiny one, which was Jane's dog, her own dog that she's had for 10 years. And you're, oh, it's adorable. Blah, blah, blah. And then the other dog was like, what am I, a chopped liver? <laughs> I'm the one in need, mate. I'm the one that's been chained up for two years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, still need rescuing over here. So that was very orcs, as you can imagine. Oh, no. So did it have to limp back home with Jane? No, no. We managed to get that. And then we took, we all went out for a walk with it, la, 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 let it off its it, ra- it ran away, so it solved itself. <laughs> it ran away across two main roads. I mean, thank you to the good people of St Leonard's who are lovely and people were, you know, screeching their cars to a halt and parking and then running after it and went in the sea, tried to swim to France. Jane Busman was running after it because she was, you know, felt responsible. I had her dog at that point, so I thought, 
Well, you know, this is the way I wanted it to be. I'll just go home with this dog. Yeah, this is the dog we wanted. It's been a bit of a drama, but I've got the, you know, the result. <laughs> the outcome has been good. Anyway, so now Sally Phillips is now a little sort of small collie slash water dog, gingery, very sweet, bit frightened, <laughs> as you can tell. Yes. And cause... then I had her for a, a morning and she did all her business in my house and then I trodden it in my stocking feet. So that's so. I'm not going to do any more dog kind no. of wrangling. Where is Sally Phillips now? She is, is she tied she, up outside. Yeah, <laughs> she's in my bike uh, um, with a little pot saying, "Please help me." <laughs> In her paws. No, she stayed with the lady who, the original lady, Kathy. They fell in love. Oh, they did? Yeah, they fell in love, despite her being slightly bigger and not the dog she was expecting. They fell in love and she is very adorable, but very frightened. And I imagine poor Kathy's house is now just a dog toilet. No, we've already managed oh. to conquer that in a matter of four days. Well done. Yeah, yeah. So it's... Oh, uh, that's... A, so it's sort of a happy this ending. This dog is only two, so I think re relearning. Excellent. But yeah, happy ending, but I am now... You must make me back off, Graham. Back off from all things. No good turn goes unpunished. Yeah. As my socks can attest, <laughs> covered in nasty. <laughs> and the good people of Hastings are going, please never bring a dog here again. <laughs> uh, right, you rustle up some letters. Virgin Radio. OK, I've got a letter and I'm going to read it out loud. Dear Graham and Maria, I have a neighbour who has keys to my place, as I used to have an elderly dog that she would occasionally walk if I was working a long shift. The dog is sadly no longer with me, so this doesn't happen anymore. I've recently noticed that some of my good wine has been disappearing and seemed to be replaced with a cheaper bottle. If replaced at all. I borrowed a nanny cam and found out that my next-door neighbour is letting herself in and helping herself to bottles. It looks like she's been doing this at all hours, even when I've been in the house asleep. What should I do? Change the locks, call the police or just pull her up on it? And that is from Gordon in Troon. That's Scotland. OK, nice, beautifully pronounced. Yes, thank you very much. Did you, go to, the, did you go to the pronunciation unit? <laughs> I did, to find out how to say Troon. Um, Gordon in Troon. I mean, while you're asleep is a bit scary, I have to say. Um, I'm not worried really particularly about the wine, but while you're asleep, mm, odd. Um, now, why has she still got the key? Sadly, your dog has passed away, so surely the necessity for her to have the key has gone away too. However, it may be that, you know, neighbours, you might lock yourself out. Could you let this parcel in or whatever? But I think, first and foremost, you should say, oh, lady's name from Scotland, Margaret. <laughs> Can I have the key back? I've got a friend staying. Margaret. Um, and then, you know, you can get over that one and then just never give it her back. I think that some people, if they think that you have a lot, um, there's some strange, crazy thing that operates in people's brains where they think that they deserve to have a bit of your what you've got of a lot. And if you've got massive amounts of wine, then she's thinking... Oh, I won't miss this. Um, and, you know, I did quite like her style by replacing it with a cheaper <laughs> bottle. Um, but also, isn't it that thing where if you get away with it once, if, you know, you're you're doing something with the dog and you kind of think, you know, I'm walking this dog, I don't get anything in return. Um, he's got all that wine. I'm going to take a bottle of wine. I've earned this wine. No, no, He doesn't notice, get away with it, you kind of think, 
I'll take another bottle. Yeah, then it then just... Then dog dies and kind of think, oh, it's still quite like some wine. I'll, I think I'll pop in and get another bottle of wine. It's four in the morning, but I'll yeah. pop in anyway. Yeah. He's probably asleep. He'll be all right. So you can see how this started, but it has to stop. I don't think she's a master criminal. Do no. not call the police. I wouldn't call her out on no, it either. No, no. I, I mean, I, I think Maria is right. Get You could get the keys back, but she may... She may have seen this coming and got a spare set done already. Well, then, then you, the, the, you do have to intercept. I think just if that's no. The case. I just think Keep change the, the locks. Cam. No, just change the locks. Well, at that stage, perhaps yes, but get the key back first. I don't think she's, as you say, she's not a master criminal. I don't think she's got a big bunch of keys from neighbours around the place. Where <laughs> number forty-three haven't been there for a while. Mmm. <laughs> we'll shut we'll get, the pap. We'll get loads of texts from Troon. But our wine goes missing. <laughs> We'd no idea. I think because it's your neighbour, you don't want to turn this into a big thing. No. Gordon, uh, I just think you don't change the locks, you don't call the police, you don't pull her up on it even, because I think everything is not going to help. But you put it down to experience on this one and then you get the key back and you keep your, your nanny cam for a couple of weeks to make sure she hasn't cut a spare. But also the other thing is, I think, is, you know, what I mean, she might try and break in. Oh come on! It's a neighbour next door who used to walk the dog. But that wine is in there. He's not using it. (laughs) Yeah, maybe put your wine in. Maybe lock your wine away. (laughs) Take it to bed with you. No, just put it in a cabinet (laughs) that has a little lock, and then just put a note on the door saying "ha ha." (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is a good letter because it's one of those things that you think, "I'm an idiot." Uh, I didn't think she would take wine. She just thought that it had sort of become normalised and you would obviously notice and you didn't mind and she should keep doing it. Yes, I I believe it started when the dog was alive. I don't believe she's... I think she was paying herself for dog walking uh, by taking a bit of wine. And fair enough, why not? See, Gordon, if you'd just given her... We don't know if he paid her or not to take... Anyway, maybe she wanted it for company. I'm seeing a little old lady here. I'm not seeing a cat burglar in Spanglex tights. No, nor me. I'm seeing a little old lady who's quite drunk. (laughs) (laughs) She's deserved it. She's she's worked hard. Walking into walls. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, Dr Finlay. Oh, no, Margaret's had a fall. (laughs) Right, their responses, part one. By the way, my favourite responses today will be getting a bottle of cava. Oh, yes. Uh, Waitress and partners number one, um, Castillo, somebody, uh, cava brut, made exclusively Waitress and partners. Uh, it is a delicate, fresh citrus fruitiness. And just, I hear the word cava and I think, oh, wouldn't that be lovely? <laughs> just mm, lovely. Anyway, back to Gordon in Troon. Claire in Lancashire says, uh, set up a stunt nice bottle of wine full of vinegar to tempt her. Then she'll take it and know that you know. Hopefully she'll get put off. Now, that's bad. You can't drink actual vinegar. Apparently it's very... I think it might kill you if you actually... if you drink vinegar. So uh, maybe don't do that. Uh, a man... <laughs> Gordon, Gordon's in jail. Charged with murder. The nice people at Virgin Radio told me to do it. Amanda's a manchester. Uh, lie in wait in the darkness like the Godfather. <laughs> Turn the light on when she's in the act. Again, she'll have a heart attack. You'll end up in prison for murder. It's yeah. Helen and Preston. Can we have advice that doesn't involve the neighbor being killed? Helen and Preston. If I was Gordon, I would send a WhatsApp with the nanny cam footage in the wheel small hours with a message asking for his key back, and then we can speak no more of this. No way should he not mention it. She needs to know she has been rumbled. 
I think if you change the locks, she'll know she's been rumbled. I don't know why she's all in Siren Sister. Because again, is it illegal to film people without their knowledge or something? I don't know. And all these in Siren Sister. Gordon should leave a note on the wine saying, It's nice that you're enjoying my wine as much as I do. Please could you make sure you replace like for like? Otherwise, I really will have to get the locks changed. <laughs> yeah, it's like a wine lending library. Okay. Uh, Sarah from Melton Mowbray. Place a gift. Place a gift wrap bottle of wine next to your wine rag with a note saying, have this one and smile. You're on camera. <sighs> That's quite good. Actually, that is quite good. Uh, well, I'm tempt- I, do you know what? I, I, although it's terrible advice and I hope he doesn't do it, I'm going to give the carver to Amanda in Manchester for her, <laughs> her lying in the darkness like the Godfather because uh, I enjoyed it. But don't do it, Gordon and Troon. Don't do it. Graham's Guide. Okay, letter, read it, aloud. This is a long one, so I'd better get on. Oh, wow. Dear Graham and Maria, I'm 49 and mum to four children aged 14 to 19. I've been best friends with two other mums of a similar age since our eldest children started nursery, enjoying a lovely friendship over the years. I was a full-time mum while the other two worked and I've always been happy to help out on the school run, taking the kids in for tea if they were running late, etc. And we've spent several Christmases and birthdays together. When Covid arrived and changed life for all of us, we didn't see much of each other and over the past two years, our contact has really dwindled. I've not seen either of them and I've tried to stay in contact, but communication has been sporadic and now non-existent. I don't do social media at all, but met a mutual friend yesterday who asked why I didn't go on the big birthday trip. She then showed me Facebook photos of my two old friends partying in Marbella last year, as well as photos of nights out, weekends away and spa breaks over the the last few years. Just the two of them. It was my birthday in December and I didn't get a card or a text message from either of them. I realise the friendship is dead and gone and I don't want it back or to confront them but I'm in total shock now about how I was dropped so efficiently after years of helping them out and nice times together. At my age I don't think I want to form another close friendship again. How do I get over this immense feeling of sadness? And that is from Laura in Northumberland. Laura, I'm sorry this has happened to you. It's horrible. And we kind of think whatever age we get to, we should be grown up. But this sort of behaviour takes you right back to the school playground when you have been kind of excluded from one of the best games. Now, I think the way forward to get over your sadness is to take ownership of this because they have behaved in a very cowardly way, Laura. And if you take ownership, it's going to stop you feeling a victim. Now, if there's any to be had, you have the moral high ground here because they have really just dropped you with no details, nothing. I mean, do you still ever see them? I suppose not because kids grown up now and no school gates. I would say whatever way you used to get in touch with them, text, obviously, you don't do social medias, send them both a text with the same wording, invite them for coffee. Now... You have to be brave on this one, but it's going to make you feel better in the long run. So if you invite them for coffee, take a courage pill and then just say, you know, chat, 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 all friendly. I have been very hurt. You just tell them that you have been hurt and that, you know, you realise they don't want to see you anymore. Otherwise, they would have got in touch. But there are ways to drop someone and this is not a great way. 
What's to be gained from that? She'll feel better about herself because she? she hasn't... Because I think she's feeling like a victim and your confidence goes... Yes. And, like, she says she doesn't ever want to have a close friendship again, which is a shame. No, no, that Don't... was... That, and she will. Clearly, Laura, you will make friends again. You you, you did have this friendship. But I, I kind of... What's scream... your advice well, then, Graham? I think... <sighs> If you do that, if you do what you're talking about, you feel like it's a bit like, you know, on reality TV shows or, you know, those daytime talk shows in America yeah. where people confront their bullies and they feel like, right, I'm going to have this moment. I'm going to have this moment with these people. And they say, oh, you know, you made my life hell, da, 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 da. And the bully just goes, sorry. And you can see the other person kind of crumbling because it's not what they want. And I don't think you'll ever get what you want from these women. They will never really apologise. They'll never really acknowledge the pain they've caused her. Well, you'll just end up with these two people in your house going, anyway, bye. And you're 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 dumped again. You're dumped in person. Effectively. I think it's better to shut this down no, but and she's rebuild got this yourself. Immense sadness. Well, all right. If you don't want them around your house, and that is something that you'd have to be very brave about and keep your anger in check about, I would then send them a card each. And just to say, you know, I realise that we've grown apart or whatever, but the way it happened, I felt a bit hurt by. And just leave it up to them. You have then at least expressed your feelings, Laura in Northumberland, about how you feel. It's they... just about taking her control back, I think, and she's she's lost that. Yes, but I, I think involving them in it, it doesn't help because... You know, they don't. They actually don't care. <laughs> they do not care. So you send them a card saying, "I'm really hurt," and then they they're just messaging each other, going, oh, "Did you get the card? Oh God! You know, didn't we do the right thing?" Uh, so I, I just think, Laura, you've got to rebuild yourself. Well, that too, of course. But I think she wants to get rid of. You know, we always talk about putting something in a balloon and letting go. She's got to get rid of those feelings. And if it if it's going to make you feel worse, of course, don't send a card. Don't arrange a card. <laughs> but I. Think think by by letting people know sometimes people sometimes just think oh that friendship has drifted away uh we no need to address it anymore and i think they didn't realize perhaps that they did need to address it because it, it might have drifted away for them and they found each other and now they're best friends but for you you feel abandoned perhaps there's also a bit in here laura in northumberland about you know your children have grown up it's a moving on process. I mean, look, we don't keep friends for life often. You kind of, you know, it's 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 useful to have friends who have children, etc. And so maybe it wasn't a proper friendship. But uh, you need to get out there and make more. And also, I do think, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how the dust settles after COVID. You know, all those people you didn't see, who did you miss? You know, and I think that's people have got, you know, at this point, because now we are kind of like stepping out, blinking into the light again. Who do you want to see? Who who of all who of those friends that you haven't seen for two years do you want to see again? And I think lots of friendships are going to be recalibrated and kind of uh, formed again. Yeah. Did uh, you miss me? Yes, I did. And, <laughs> and I see you every week. <laughs> the thing about you, because you're a chat show host, is that you can really fake sincerity well. And also, even though you didn't try for that one. And also, the weird thing—the weird thing is, I guess for me, is because because my friends do see me. If they want to see me, they they can. see you on the television. Yeah, so it's like they've seen me. I just haven't seen them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Laura, we've talked. We've started talking about ourselves. I know that's, that's so unusual for us, isn't it? Yeah. And now we're going on holidays without you. Uh,
I'm going to take Laura on holiday. <laughs> oh, that'd be a nice thing to and do. And then I'm going to leave her midweek. <laughs> say, oh, you're just getting on my nerves. But Laura, oh, I sorry, do, Laura. I, I do genuinely feel for Laura because she has been kind of dumped, and you don't expect it from friends, and you don't expect it when you're 49. Um, but you know, hang on in there. You will make new friends, and you know, I, we've talked about this before. These two women have revealed themselves in this moment. They have revealed themselves, and you must be better than them yeah. and move They may on. just have thought it reached a, na- a natural conclusion. The response is part two. Uh, cats in Glasgow. Poor Laura. The world is slowly getting back to normal. When clubs and groups start up, there'll be more opportunities to make new and better friends. Leave them behind, swallow the hurt, hold your head up and look ahead. Uh, uh, Isa, Isa, also in Glasgow, says, I've been there too and people can be so cruel. They knew exactly what they were doing by missing her out. My advice would be to let it go. They're not worth it. Have a 50th bash and not invite them, then get someone to post the pics on social media, seeing as you don't do it yourself. Uh, Laura, you have seen their true colours. Don't chase after them, but don't, whatever you do, let them change your view on people. There are more good than bad people, so find new friends. And uh, that's Optimist Words from Paul in Ulverston. Uh, Kath is in Norfolk. Leave these people in the past. Fill your life with things you enjoy and friendships will come naturally with people you have something in common with. If you're struggling with the hurt, seek out a counsellor. And Vicky Eastbourne says, I've recently been told a great saying concerning friendships. Reason, season, lifetime. Some people are only in your life for a reason or a season, and that's fine. It's the lifetime friends you need to find or stick with. Oh, isn't that lovely? I like that. Uh, Bikini Spawn, go on, have a bottle of cava. Do. Uh, yeah, look at that. Reason, season, lifetime. Very good. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Right, time to meet my first guest of the day, Leslie Manville for the she. Uh, we all know her. Uh, we all love her. We all admire her. And now she's starring in Magpie Murders, uh, which is be- it's on Britbox. I think it's all available on Britbox right now. Uh, hello, Leslie. Good morning, Graham. Ooh, are you in a toilet? <laughs> Why do I sound a bit echoey? You don't you don't like you don't sound like you've splurged on carpets recently. <laughs> well, I have. I've got new carpets. I've got coir, obviously, very shiny coir everywhere. It's those high ceilings, Leslie. It's those very high oh, ceilings. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so now, Magpie Murders. I think Anthony Horvich has done such a great job adapting this because it, yes. it because it's a book within a book, which sounds, yeah. it sounds sort of unfilmable. So tell us who you play and how it works. Well, I play Susan Ryland, who's a publisher, but anyone who's read the book, which was a best-selling novel, top of the, you know, those lists that they have for, for, for many, many months. Um, if, you read, if you've read the book, it's in two halves. You get the 1950s um, murder mystery bit and then you read the section that's in present day and it's my character publishes the author who writes the books about a famous detective called Atticus Punt who's a detective in the 1950s but what Anthony Horowitz has really brilliantly done I thought it was undoable but he's done it he's merged the, the two um, uh time frames and merged the characters so that while my character the publisher she there's there's a murder and she gets involved with finding out 
how, how the murders happened, but the clues of the murder are in the book that's set in the 50s. So there's quite a few actors who play two parts as well, because the author bases characters in his book on people that he knows. So some actors play two parts. I'm really bad at explaining these things. No, actually, I have to say, I thought you did that very well. And, and because, but what's interesting is I think you, that your character, although she's investigating the murder of this author, you know, she never liked him. No, hated him, really didn't like him at all. But you see, the last chapter of the book is missing. And that's one of the key plot points. The last chapter is missing. And she knows that the clue to who has murdered him is in the last chapter. So part of her, and also she needs to find the last chapter in order to publish. So there's all of these things going on. But yeah, she's a publisher, but she becomes a little bit of a detective. It, but I imagine this this show will sell around the world because it's so beautiful and it's got that lovely kind of the retro 1950 sections and then the contemporary sections. But, you know, yeah. Britain looks gorgeous in this. Oh, doesn't it just? I mean, we, we actually shot... Um, a lot of it in um, Dublin, um, <laughs> because it's meant to be London and it's meant to be Suffolk. So we, because you get lots of tax incentives for shooting in Ireland, um, and who doesn't love Dublin, Graham? Well, no, um, do you know what? That's so funny you say that. So your house is in Dublin, right? Yeah, yeah. And is your public is the publishing house in Dublin? Yes, yeah. And is your sister's house in Dublin? Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, I did think they looked a bit Irish, but then the big country house is that some that's in England, right? No, that was that was about half an hour outside of Dublin. Oh, really? Yeah, that that big old pile of a house which we shot masses in. We did we did um, we did some of it in Suffolk. When you when it goes to the nineteen fifties and it's that beautiful village. Oh, so um, sweet. That is a little village in Suffolk called Kersey. And so we did shoot there for about three or four weeks as well. And we did bits in London, you know, my character driving around her red MG in London. We, we did some, some of that stuff. Oh, and Liverpool, Liverpool Street Station's in it as well. Yes, there you go. Definitely, yeah. And now, the lovely Conrad Hill, he plays the, the author who gets murdered. So presumably yeah. you never, did you work with him at all? We did, we have one scene together, which is a sort of flashback of them in their early days working together. And it just kind of shows you how much she disliked him. But yeah, we only have one scene together, but he's a, he's a, he's a great actor. I don't think the opening, the opening two minutes of the series with which has got some of the most brilliant television editing I've ever seen is a sequence of Conliff Hill's character right actually being the writer and doing all those things that writers do when they hate what they've written and they tear it up and blah 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 um, and then it cuts to the most amazing opening graphics but it, it's it's all very cleverly done no it's it really is is gorgeous and it's I think I'm right to say it start it, it premiered on Britbox uh, like last month in the middle of last month so is it all there now or are you still waiting for some episodes to appear no, uh, uh, sorry, sorry to disagree, Graham. It opens on, it launches on Britbox on the tenth of February. Oh, I've got the tenth of January. 
Oh, I see. No. Oh, I wondered why you were on. <laughs> you wondered why I was here. I thought, I thought, I thought Leslie's keen. <laughs> and she's a bit late. Yeah, she, yeah, she's keen and late. At tenth of February. Yeah, you can't watch. You can't watch it yet. No. Back off. Back off your Brit box. Uh, you can watch it from the tenth of February. You were just sixteen. So did you? I mean, were you juggling school with being in the West End or did you just say bye-bye school, look at me, I'm in well, show business? I said bye-bye school aged 15 and I went, I lived, I lived in Brighton and I took myself off to the Italia Conti Stage School in Clapham in London and, uh, and in theory continued my general education but obviously spent the afternoons tap dancing, singing, <laughs> acting. And uh, and they were your they were my agent as well. So when this musical came along, um, they sent me along for it and that was it, got the job. But Leslie, I mean, I know Brighton's not that far, but at the same time at 15 to come up to London and everything, who was yeah. that your own self-belief where you kind of thought, right, I'm I'm putting all my chips on this, or who was encouraging yeah. you? No, nobody. Well, my parents were very encouraging, but the whole idea, the whole scheme came from me. But, you know, the brilliant thing then was, I mean, my parents were, were not wealthy at all. I got a 100% grant from Brighton and Hove Council to go to the to go to Conti's. They gave me a, a, a rail pass. Um, it cost me nothing to go there. My dad used to give me a pound every day so that I could buy, and that bought me my tea and toast on the train in the morning, the 7.35 from Brighton to Victoria. <laughs> and it bought my lunch and got me home again. And it usually lasted a couple of days. <laughs> wow, and look at you now. Look, look at, you at now. me now. Ooh, just ooh. look at me. <laughs> Sorry, a bit of the studio just fell off. <laughs> I don't know oh. <laughs> what's that noise, but it's okay. I think We're still on air. It's all good. Uh, now, we've got, to, uh, we've got to mention you are also going to be in the new uh, Series 5 and 6 of The Crown. Yes, I am. I'm playing um, Princess Margaret. And uh, has that? have you wrapped on that? Is that finished? No, we haven't wrapped on Season 5 yet. Um, and then we have a bit of a break and then we go back later in the year and start the sixth and final season. Yeah. Wow. Have you seen the, have you seen the scripts? Not for season six yet, no. No, I mean, uh, Peter Morgan is furiously writing them. Not furiously, quickly, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's living. <laughs> Not furiously. <laughs> uh, and do you know how, how much further does it go on after uh, Margaret, spoiler alert, uh, <laughs> dies? <laughs> Nobody's told me she dies. <laughs> um, I, uh, I don't think much longer, but I'm, I, I'm not sure. Sworn to secrecy. Sworn to secrecy. Oh, I tell you what, Louise Dorset also wants to know, she's been in touch, uh, she wants to know, is it your voice on the audiobook of Richard Osmond's Thursday Murder Club? I thought I recognised it as my husband's been listening to it whilst at home and it's been driving me crazy. It is my voice. I've, I've, I've done the Thursday Murder Club and the sequel, um, The Man Who Died Twice. <gasps> yeah, it is. That's a nice, that's a nice gig. It's a, yeah, it takes about four days. Um, and in fact, the man who died twice, I I did it while I was shooting something else in Prague. Um, but it, yeah, it's four days, and you sit there and you kind of achieve about a hundred pages a day. Um, and can you now, because of COVID, can you do it, you know, in a little somewhere, in a little booth, or do you mm -hmm. have to still have to go into a studio? 
you can do it at home. In fact, I, I, I recorded at the beginning of lockdown, I recorded the sequel to Magpie Murders in my little wardrobe cupboard. <laughs> Um, it's called the Moonflower Murders, and they brought along the kit, you know, the sophisticated microphones, and and because um, it was lockdown, there was I live on a quiet road anyway, but there was no cars, uh, there were no planes, so all I did was close the door, which is full of my clothes anyway, and I put a duvet over the the door, and that's it. I had my own little sound studio. Wow. Um, I didn't know there was a sequel to Magpie Murders. How did I miss this? Um, uh, well, there is. It's called The Moonflower Murders. Oh, right. Oh, I, mu- I must guess it. I'll get the yeah. audio. I'll get the audio book and it'll be like, it'll like, it'll be like we're still chatting. It'll be oh, lovely. Oh, yeah. yeah. Listen, you, you can listen to me all day if you like, Graham. <laughs> Non-stop Manville. <laughs> Gorgeous. That's my dream. Uh, but... <laughs> I'm afraid, I'm afraid we must stop Manville. So um, uh, Leslie Manville stars in Magpie Murders. It is, so, it's, it's yes. I mean, cosy crime makes it sound, I don't know, a, a bit stuffy or musty, but it's not like that. It's, but it's a great watch. It's a really lovely. Quirky crime, yeah, I think. That's a Quirky good, yeah, crime. that's good. Quirky crime. Magpie <laughs> Murders, it premieres on BritBox on Thursday, the 10th of February. Unless that's not a Thursday. Um, because who knows? I feel I feel I've got a lot of misinformation. But it, it's, it's the tenth of February. That we're sure. Yes. So uh, look out for it. Uh, that is next week, the the tenth of February. Uh, Leslie Manville, thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you, Graham. You oh. too. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Time for my second guest of the day, Aaron Doherty. Uh, people. Fed fell in love with her as uh, Anne in The Crown. But now you will forget all about that because she is in this extraordinary new six-part BBC thriller, Chloe. Erin uh, Doherty, hello. Hello there. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Good. Uh, while that record was playing, uh, quite low here in the studio, um, <laughs> I, I was gushing to you about Chloe. I watched the first hour, loved it. Uh, so you play... Uh, Becky. I do. Oh yeah, and we're sure of that. Oh, I do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm definitely Becky. Okay. There may be some other people thrown in there. But yeah. No, because at the end of episode one, I kind of thought I was. I suddenly doubted you. I suddenly thought, is she Becky? I mean, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. She is definitely Becky. Okay. Okay. That's not so, a spoiler. So, so that red herring. Okay. I, I I made that up myself. Okay. That's cool though. <laughs> yeah. That's another. That's another plot. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe season two. Okay. So you're you're Becky, and you have quite a difficult. Uh, humdrum life. I do. I do. She basically, without giving lots away, she's had a, a pretty intense, horrific event happen in her past that has meant that she is now severely isolated. Like, she just doesn't have a social life. She goes to work, she comes home. Even that is kind of temporary. Like, she's, a, she's just a bit of a floater. Um, and then when she finds out about the death of Chloe... Um, she, that that kind of isolation is what enables her to just throw herself. And, in. and Chloe is someone she didn't know. She just loved on Instagram. No, so well, Chloe yeah, well, again. Yeah, I'm yeah, like, well, yeah, yeah, you'll figure yeah, it out. Yeah. But um, like she basically, Chloe was in a sense the only true relationship, best friend, but relationship she's ever really had. Um, yeah, so that is a lot of the reason why it means so much to her to try and understand what's happened to this woman. And a lot of the the show kind of 
focuses on this thing that that kind of reality gap between who we actually are and yeah. who we present to be on social media. Yeah, it, it's fascinating and terrifying at the same time. Like I'm, I, I think I'm really, I'm, I'm petrified of social media for that reason. Like, and I very much kind of had have, have like a love hate relationship with it, where I'll use it for work and I'm all about promoting stuff. But I think it's it is really easy to go right. I'm I'm projecting this thing out there, but people don't really know me. Like it's quite, you have to find the balance. And I think the show's really good at kind of highlighting. You, you can never really know what's going on in someone's life, no matter how much footage they put out there. And also, it's that weird thing where you know you sit in restaurants and people are taking multiple pictures of yeah. themselves. No, that's not good enough. Let's do yeah. it again. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't. It just freaks me out. I'm just yeah. I think I'm very old-fashioned at heart. Like I, I'd love us all to just go back to phone boxes and be like, yeah, I'll meet you there at seven. Okay, great. And you don't talk to each other until you get there. But I think surely, don't you think there'll come a day when we'll be going? You know, uh, remember the the 2019s, and you go remember selfie. Yeah. And then we go, oh, yeah, remember when you used to take selfies? Yeah. That can't keep going. I pray. I pray <laughs> that it goes away. I really do. And I like. I respect I respect everyone who loves it. No, I'm you not, don't. I, I just, no, you don't. Just, we think they're idiots. I know. Just don't, like, come on. Like, why is there a selfie stick? Like, do you remember them? What was that about? Yeah, at, least, at least they're gone. Thank God. So we're, we're, we're making our way towards it. Yeah. We're little oh, by little. Little yeah. by little. And we should say, this is, I, I was just reading about her in, what's it in? The Guardian Saturday. Uh, Alice Seabright who yes. uh, did sex education on Netflix. Yeah. So she is this American thing. She is a showrunner. Yeah. So so does that mean she didn't direct it? She didn't write it? She just... what? But it is her what? vision. Uh, uh, what? On, on Chloe? Yeah. So Alice Seabright, yeah, she, she created the whole thing. So she wrote it and directed the first three episodes on this. Okay. Yeah. So she's like... This is like kind of her, like, baby, in okay. a way. This yeah. is like... I think she was saying, like, it, it's been kind of brewing for a good couple of years now. So it, it this is kind of, like, huge for her. And But when you say she directed the first three episodes, yeah. in the last three episodes, is she making coffee or is she kind of looking <laughs> over someone's shoulder? I think she just, she buggered off. She, <laughs> she, she, was, she was just concerned with kind of her episodes then and then we went over to a wonderful director called Amanda Boyle who did the last three. But yeah, so Alice Seabright did the first three and then, yeah, in a way she was really generous because like I say, I think she'd spent a lot of time with these people figuring out the plot and it's all very intertwined and crazy. But she was, when it came to the cast and people kind of putting their two cents in she was very free about being like yeah that you're this person now like i want you to yeah you to do whatever you need to do with it but what a gift for you as an actor because there aren't many female roles like this no. where you're not defined by you know a husband or yes. a, a daughter or a some you you are entirely your own thing yeah it felt very special and and i'm really really chuffed that i th- um, to put it out there and hopefully to to in to to engage with like male and females out there. But I think actually, yeah, when I saw it written down on paper, I was like, God, oh, this this could have been easily written for a man. So I was I was really chuffed that it, it came to me and that um, yeah, it, it's this whole story is kind of in in the shape of. Becky. Yeah, I think all those insecurities, I think maybe they used to be more female, but I think yeah. all those insecurities, men now have them too. Yeah, because of social media. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's terrifying, yeah. it's true. <laughs> Stupid social media. Stupid. <laughs> and very quickly on Chloe, what I, it, she's, you don't see it that often. You see it in fiction a bit, but not in telly so much. That idea of a, a sort of less than sympathetic 
lead character. Yeah. It's kind of terrifying but thrilling as an actor to play someone that people might strongly dislike. Um, but I think that's part of why it's important to put it out there because I think actually people are much more multifaceted than than just goodies and baddies. Yeah, because I must say, because you, you, your mindset, you're so fixed in those things watching a television drama. You always know who's good, who's yeah, bad. Yeah, exactly. And I watched that first hour, and by the end of the hour, I wasn't clear whether Becky was one or the other. That's great. Yeah. That's so great. I'm chuffed. <laughs> that's, that's great. And you've got to mention The Crown, because we were just talking, you've got awards. I know. Yeah, very, big, heavy American awards. Very heavy ones. Yeah. Yeah, it was, yeah, it, it was actually very surreal, because we were actually, we are in the middle of filming... Um, the I think it was the second series when we had to fly to America to go to the SAGs and um, and we won and it was great and we had to walk on the stage, say thank you very much and literally walk off and walk onto literally a plane and fly back and start filming the next day. Wow. So it was all very bizarre and very... Um, like a dream. It was. It was one of those yeah. things that I feel like I'll, I'll tell people about. And your version of Princess Anne was so great and I wondered, was it written funny or did you find the jokes? I found her funny. Like, I just... <laughs> It was for me. It was in the writing. Like I just thought, I, like I don't know about you. Well, I don't know. Maybe you did. I didn't really know too much about her. Like when I went up for the audition, so I very much had this kind of like love story when I started digging, and I, I fell in love with this woman. And, and I do. I think she's very funny. And you know, you're going to bump into her. I. I mean, I. Oh, you have. No, I haven't. Oh, right. I, I, I was just. I was just honestly. I just kind of lost my mind thinking about if I would, because I wouldn't know what to say. I feel like she'd have some stuff to say to me. I feel like Prince Anne is one of the people who will admit to watching it, because the royals, none of them admit to no, watching it. No, they don't. But if, there was a, if somebody made a television series about your family, I'm you'd have to it. watch it. I'm watching yeah. it. Yeah, I agree. I feel like she would, and that's, I think, why I'm scared, is because I feel like she'd pull me up on everything. <laughs> she would. You know she would. She'd Pro- go, I didn't do that, or no, I no, it'd that. Be, no, it'd be tips on horse riding. Yeah, it it'd would, be, actually. It'd be things like your saddle work yeah. wasn't great. And, and it, it really probably wasn't. <laughs> I, on, I was. I did the stereotypical actor thing of saying, "Yeah, I can ride," and I just couldn't. Yeah. Well, in fairness, where did you grow up, Crawley? Crawley. I mean, not a lot of stables. No, you can't. You can't <laughs> learn to ride around there. I've, I have like a vague memory of like getting on a donkey one time. <laughs> well, it served you well. It did. It did. It <laughs> came came back to help me in the end. And you one of the, the, some sometimes things happen. You know, actors that you know have been working because you had you would been working away. You've been in theatre. Yeah. You were called the midwife and everything. And then suddenly something like that happens. Yeah. And suddenly because everyone has a reference now. You know, you hear the name Aaron Doherty and you're like Aaron Doherty and you go Princess uh, Out of the Crown. And I go yeah. oh yeah I love her. Yeah. So you know essentially you're so hot right now. So are you are you kind of jetting around the world taking meetings and are you on Zoom endlessly? I am on Zoom a lot, but I feel aren't we all aren't we all on Zoom? I'm so over Zoom. Yeah, but some of us are cold on Zoom. You're hot. You're hot I'm right now. I'm not hot on Zoom. I'm really not. I'm still there in my tracksuit box, just putting a shirt on top. Honestly, like I yeah, I'm not I'm not a big like crazy, jet-setter-y type person, yeah. I don't think. But has Hollywood kind of become a calling? Or are we going to see you in movies? I mean, I can't talk about lots of things. Ooh. There's exciting things happening. Yeah. But life is exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Now, now that COVID's kind of yeah. going away. Yeah. Are you, are you looking at new flats? 
No, I've actually, well, we, <laughs> me and my girlfriend have just got into our own new flat. So oh. actually, I've, I've already done that. I know. I'm pretty chuffed. Yeah. I don't have to wait around, like, that's waiting success. to use the kitchen anymore. <laughs> there were six of us before, now it's just two. Oh, that's excellent. I know. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank oh, you that's, very much. oh, new year, new you, new series. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good time. Everybody said it's a real pleasure to meet you. I'm so chuffed for your success. It's much deserved. And Chloe, do check it out because it, it's. We were. I was saying during the music, it's unlike other things. You 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 don't compare it to other shows. It's uniquely itself. It is. So uh, hopefully people enjoy it. Chloe, I thought it was excellent. BBC One, nine o'clock tomorrow night. Uh, all episodes on player uh, on the iPlayer from then. Erin Doherty, thank you so much for coming thank in you. to see us. Uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend and you know and your life and career and success <laughs> and your girlfriend and your new flat. Yeah, yeah all all of that. <laughs> all right. Still to come, the wonderful Kate Humble takes us into her kitchen with her new cookbook. Home Cooked, and comedian Adam Kay takes us behind the scenes of the BBC adaptation of his memoir, This Is Going To Hurt. But before we get to that, let's find out what Martha's been up to this weekend. Hello. Hello. How are you today? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. I've been looking forward to this since I saw a picture of it earlier. Oh. I saw a picture earlier, I thought, oh, I'm going to like that, <laughs> and I might even make it. Uh, if it's, uh, well, we'll find out how, <laughs> we'll find out how hard it is. <laughs> now, this is a recipe by our favourite drag queen, Ellie Pear. It is. <laughs> <laughs> She's not really a drag queen. <laughs> no, but she should be with that name, Ella Pear. Uh, Ellie Pear, uh, it's a spinach, basil and rubiola. Robiola? Yeah, I reckon. That's as good as I was going to pronounce okay, it. Okay, so. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it's a risotto. Mm, risotto. Very Italian. Uh, yeah. So what is Robiolo, Robiola? Oh, it's a beautiful cheese. So it's mm. called Robiola Bossina. And it's like this cube. Tastes uh, a little bit um, salty, really creamy. It's kind of, it's beyond brie. It's so squishy and unctuous. It's it's a good cheese. Oh, wow. Mm. That sounds gorgeous. <laughs> okay. And it, it, basically, you can get this recipe. It's in the Waitrose Weekend newspaper. Yes, it is. This yeah. weekend's version. It's out until Thursday, I think. So pop in store and you can pick up the... That's quite a long weekend. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> every day is a weekend at Waitrose. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of uh, difficulty level, uh, how? Because uh, I think a lot of people are put off risotto because it you feel like you've got to stir and stir and stir and stir and stir, and it's going to be terrifying. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. It's not. I wouldn't say it's difficult, but it does take a little bit of time. So not not loads of time. Still under half an hour, but. You've got to give it that that stirring time. But the actual process is quite straightforward. And like, so is it the thing you cannot leave it? You can leave it for probably three to four minutes. So no. So, so no. I mean, where are you going in three or four minutes? It's so yeah. easy to forget, isn't it? I mean, that's, hard, that's hardly away. a toilet trip. <laughs> yeah, it's make a cup of tea and then back to stirring. Yeah, back to stirring. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, how do we make it? Uh, where do we begin? So you're going to start with onions. Onions are the base of every good risotto. So get them nice and small. Sometimes you can even grate them if you're worried about your chopping skills. You can just get yourself a box grater and... Okay, that's Go away the, a genius idea. That's a really good idea. And it'll be so much quicker. Yeah, it's quicker. It's a bit slippery, so you've got to be careful. But it does do it a lovely, nice, fine shred. And it kind of disappears. If you're an onion... got people in the family who don't like onions, it's a good way to sneak them in because oh, they just disintegrate yes. yeah, 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 much yeah. more easily. Yeah, so you start with your, your onion in your pan. It takes about eight minutes to soften. And then we're going to go in with our rice. Cook it for a couple of minutes till it almost turns translucent. And we're using... Uh, what's it called again, the special rice? It's called arborio oh, yeah. risotto rice. Yeah, yeah, it's just a little bit kind of plumper. So it absorbs more of the flavour. And then the first thing that goes into the pan is what the rice 
this will taste of. So the first thing that goes in is wine. <laughs> That's why it tastes good. <laughs> so you want either dry sherry or a dry white wine, just about 60 millilitres, a little, bit, little glass, and it just absorbs. That's the first thing the rice absorbs, so it has a really nice under flavour. And then we're going to continue to add our stock every couple of minutes, stirring until it's absorbed. So that's that's your stirring. But whilst that's happening, um, the recipe is quite clever because you do all your other bits whilst you're stirring. You don't okay. have to do anything after. Um, so we're going to cook together some spinach and some basil. Just steam it for a couple of minutes, le- almost less than a minute. And then it goes into a blender or a blitzer into this green soup. <laughs> mm, nice. <laughs> and then towards the end of your cooking, once the rice is nicely cooked, we're going to add in our green puree. It completely transforms. If you were wondering what this dish looked like, it's bright green. It is, it is vivid, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. It is vivid. <laughs> it's not any old risotto. It's a bright green risotto. And yeah. um, that goes in. And then we take this cheese, this delicious salty cheese, and put little chunks in, stir it until it's melted, finish with some parmesan, some black pepper, and you're good to go. So the only cheese in that is those lumps of cheese. There's that, and then there's some parmesan pecorino yeah. on the top. Wow. Mm. Oh, because I felt like there was cheese in the sauce but there isn't yeah it, the lumps of, it kind of like melts in yeah, I've actually yeah. put a little bit more on top so you can see some on the top but there's oh, also it's I, what makes it so creamy which I, I think works getcha. wonders <laughs> I getcha uh, it's so good and I, 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 I never made a risotto until the other day and it wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be the, the amount of stirring will you do it again I might do for this for <laughs> this for this yes uh, it's Ellie Pear's recipe it's available in the Waitress Weekend newspaper but also if you go to our Instagram account at Virgin Radio UK, uh, that's our Instagram account, and you stab away there, and you'll be brought to uh, the receipt in somewhere on the internet. <laughs> yeah, th- that's correct, isn't it? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Back me up here. Back me up. <laughs> that's where you'll find it. <laughs> uh, you are back tomorrow morning, Martha. Mm. Uh, sweet or savoury tomorrow? Something sweet, a little bit sharp. Ooh. Mm. <laughs> uh, is it another lemon? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? It's actually not lemon. Oh, it's not lemon. It's not citrus, but it's something else. Okay. It's not grapefruit. <laughs> no, I promise no. you it's not grapefruit. I'll be sick. <laughs> I'll be sick. You don't you won't <laughs> you you won't like me when I'm sick. Uh, all right, we look forward to that. Thank you very much, Martha. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. <gasps> well, you say her name she appears. Martha Collison's <laughs> here, show chef uh, with the trolley today. And what that is very impressive. What have you made for us to enjoy today? It's a dessert trolley today. So mm. we have got a rhubarb and rose posset tart today. Nice and colourful. It is so... I mean, I was thinking about yesterday. Yesterday with that vivid green yes, of the risotto. <laughs> and now we've got the vivid pink of this. So rhubarb, I think we all know what rhubarb is. A rose posset, is that a sort of apple? No. So we've got rhubarb and then we've got rose as in the petals. Oh, yes. And then posset is the type of filling that we've got in there. So it's okay. similar to a custard, but not with eggs. Mmm. You had me at custard. <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, this is Tom Hunt's recipe, right? It is, yeah. He's very into foraging natural product produce, which is why this has such a shocking pink colour, but there's nothing artificial about it. It's all natural ingredients, lovely sweetness with honey, things like that. Okay. And you were saying with your record that, that basically this is like winter rhubarb. It is indeed. So you get um, summer rhubarb is the green, huge plants that you find in gardens in kind of uh, August, July. Um, winter rhubarb, however, was originally grown to kind of bridge that gap because we must have used to eat rhubarb all year round. But it's grown in such a fascinating way. They grow it by candlelight in the dark, completely in the dark, harvest it by candlelight. And it's that dark growing warm conditions that they call it forced rhubarb because it forces the rhubarb shoots to spring up. And that's what gives it their pink colour. 
Wow, There's you've made you've made me want to visit a rhubarb farm. <laughs> I know, I would love to. I've never done it, but I've seen so many pictures. I think it just looks really magical. <laughs> and, and is this kind of a, a tale as old as time? Have they been doing this for centuries? Yeah, they've been doing it. I think since the 1800s. So it's been an old. It's an old school. Um, kind of modified way to grow things year round but it meant people could have lovely bright sunny rhubarb that's this beautiful pink colour in those months where it's a bit cold a bit miserable some lovely colourful fruits are stemming up <laughs> and what's the base is it a did you make that yourself so it's a biscuit base a bit more similar to a cheesecake so you'll be pleased to know if you're thinking of making this that it's not going to take you forever <laughs> it's a packet of ginger biscuits in the blender with a bit of white chocolate if you if you don't like your your desserts cloyingly sweet then this is a mm. really good one it, it has a kind of sharpness and a bite to it it's lovely yes absolutely uh, so what do you begin with what's the what's the first thing you do so we start with making the kind of tart. It's kind of a pastry alternative, I guess. So you could even use gluten-free biscuits if you wanted to make this a gluten-free option. But you blitz your ginger biscuits. I think that biscuits. ship has sailed, really. <laughs> <laughs> Blitz the ginger biscuits in a food processor with some white chocolate. So you get those little ripples of sweet chunks through there as well. And then some butter gets mixed into that, like you're making a cheesecake base. Yeah. Then you press it into the base of a tart tin and pop it into the fridge whilst you crack on with the filling and the topping. Mm-hmm. So the filling. Mm-hmm. Is that what you do next? Or do, does the rhubarb take longer than everything else and you need to be doing that somewhere? So filling next, because okay. that is going to be the thing that needs to set. But the best thing about posset is it's so easy to do. It's a cook's secret weapon, because when you look at something like this, it looks quite impressive. It looks like it's gelatin and it's all sorts of setting agents, but it's really just cream, lemon juice and sugar. <laughs> now, see, that sounds like it shouldn't work. That if you had lemon know. juice and cream, it would just go sour. Yeah, it's like a proper science kind of experiment because the, the acid from the lemon kind of acidifies the cream just enough that it will set into a lovely, soft, kind of sliceable tart, but not so much like gelatin where you worry that you've got too much or too little. Um, and then we've got some rhubarb going in there as well. So you get rhubarb in both parts, in the filling, and then on the top, we've got this kind of geometric pattern of rhubarb. It is beautiful. <laughs> if anyone's ever laid a pattern, they'll enjoy this. Yeah, this yeah. Is, it's that kind of thing. It's like tiling, just getting <laughs> yeah. it all neat. Um, but you just, when you're cutting up your rhubarb, you want to slice it kind of into little rhombus diamond shapes, which is actually quite easy. Just kind of angle your knife so that it cuts yeah, yeah, yeah. into those. Um, and then I'd say the trickiest part of this dessert is cooking that rhubarb on top so it's cooked just enough that it's, uh, that, it, that it holds its shape, but not so much that it collapses. Because <laughs> you want to see those lovely patterns on the top. So you've got to watch that. How are you cooking? Are you boiling it? What are you, what are you, how are you doing it? It goes into a, a pan with a little bit of honey and a little bit of water, and then the lid goes on. So it's kind of steaming in a sugar syrup, I suppose. Oh, so what... Oh, I see. So it, it's not submerged in anything. No, it's just got a little bit of liquid. It's steaming all the way through and you want to keep a close eye on it because it just takes three or four minutes before it starts to become stewed rhubarb. <laughs> Which we used to love as children. Which mm, delicious, rhubarb, I know. Stew, stewed rhubarb with custard. That was a, oh. a staple. OK, so you do that. Then, so do you put the posset in the base and before the rhubarb? Well, obviously, you put it in before the rhubarb, but a long time before the rhubarb. Yeah, so you want to do that about four hours before. So oh, it goes in, into the fridge. It can be overnight. I did this yesterday and then topped it today with the rhubarb. Let your rhubarb cool down. Then when you're ready to serve, you just kind of arrange those little rhubarb rhombuses on the top. A little bit of rose petals on the top as well. Now you say that. A little bit of rose petals. Where do they come from? A bit from? of rose petals. <laughs> where, where did you get your rose petals? <laughs> Please know I haven't hand, haven't hand dried those. <laughs> um, in the Waitrose uh, Cook's Ingredients,
ingredients range you can buy rose petals ready dried and they're perfect for things like valentine's day coming up because you can add a little bit of a little bit of colorful flair a little bit of fragrance bit of flavor beautiful <laughs> you mentioned valentine's day is next weekend going to be valentine's day special i think we'll have a couple of different recipes you can try out either for valentine's galentine's whatever whatever you've got going on oh lovely <laughs> or will you be cooking something like a, a turtle dove <laughs> <laughs> I'll see what, like, see what waitress stock. <laughs> you <Yeah>. never know. <laughs> roast, roast turtle dove. Uh, this is so impressive. And actually, as you talked it through, I thought, yeah, that's doable. That is doable. If you'd like the recipe for rhubarb and rose posset tart, simply go to our Instagram account at Virgin Radio UK and stab away there and you'll get the recipe. Uh, have a lovely week, Martha. Thank, Thank you, you very, very much. much. And too. we look forward to your Valentine's Day specials <laughs> next weekend. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. We cross now to a windswept Y Valley to talk to TV presenter, writer and now cook, Kate Humble. Hello. Hello. Oh, you sound marvellous. You sound great. Is the electricity back? Uh, no, it's not. No, um, apparently uh, it might be back at midday, but we don't know. But so I, I feel for you because you've got this cookbook full of beautiful things, and now those recipes are just laughing at you because yeah, you, you, yeah, you... they're just going. Ah, you can't. Go. Although luckily, luckily, um, apples and marmite, which is probably the first recipe in the book, uh, doesn't require electricity, so we can get away with that. Yeah, I was thinking that because you know there are there are, you know because we all, we cook obviously we all make things in our lives you know and it, obviously apples and marmite is something you or there's like mushrooms on toast and things how were you was someone kind of going to you no okay you can put that in a book because actually uh, people it, it inspires people or gives people the idea to go, yes oh actually I'll do that today that's a good idea um, was someone no, kind of talking oh, you through it no. No, in fact, the only talking to I got at all when I came up with the idea of doing a cookbook was don't do it at all, um, which was really encouraging, obviously. Um, no, so it, so the, the cookbook wasn't the plan, um, as, as, as you sounded quite surprised when you said, and cook. Uh, yes, I'm, I'm as surprised as you are. Um, as you said, you know, we all kind of make things um, and I make uh, very simple things. Um, and I was asked by Channel 5 to make things on the telly, which is an entirely different thing than making them in your own kitchen. It turns out it's quite scary and chaotic. And um, but I made I, I did a series called Escape to the Farm last year and um if you remember when we were in the thick of lockdown everyone was making sourdough in a very smug sort of way and then posting their photos everywhere and saying look how clever i am and um i tried making sourdough and it just turned into a cow pat every single time i tried to make it <laughs> and so some lovely friend my lovely friend jennifer uh who's a very very good baker said just make soda bread it's really easy now presumably you grew up with soda bread yes and I, yeah. Yeah, my mother gave me her soda bread recipe and, yeah, I can make it, yeah. It's fabulous, isn't it? And, you, I mean, it does make you feel like a domestic goddess because you're making bread. But actually, you know, you don't need to tell anybody that all you need to do is shove some flour in a bowl with a bit of bicarbonate of soda and something to make it fizz, stir it round, cut the cross in the top, obviously, to let the fairies out because if you don't do that, it's going to be a disaster. Very bad luck. Stick it in the oven and then it's marvellous. And so that was the very first thing that I made uh, for the telly and, um, and 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 I was amazed but I got lots of messages from people saying oh my goodness you've you've released us from the tyranny of sourdough thank you so much <laughs> um, and and then and I just sort of thought well I'll just cook the stuff that I cook at home and it is you know mushrooms on toast is it is in there 
there and 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 kind of little discoveries like you can actually make an amazing cake with a jar of marmalade and chocolate i mean what's not to like about those two things oh, anyway but in in kind of one saucepan no washing up nothing and it, again you know you need no skills i don't even know what a piping bag looks like so you know i'm not a cake maker but that one's really easy and people just kept saying why don't you do a cookbook and i'm like why not i'll give it a go and then my publisher said no don't do a cookbook <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, I ignored her clearly because here it is. And now the other thing about it, so because there's one thing to kind of go, oh, I'm going to have a cookbook. But for you, holding this book, you must feel, you know, because it's a big, heavy tome. It's a proper, you it's, know, it's over 100 recipes. But let's talk about how gorgeous the book looks, these photographs. I, is, I know. Is it all your house? uh it's the it's around it's the farm it's and uh it's around the um it's the sort of surrounding area it is the y valley i mean there was there was <laughs> so the photographer is a one i'm saying he's a wonderful man now if we had had this talk a year ago i would have said i hate him and he's <laughs> never coming back into my life again um so he's a wonderful photographer called andrew montgomery and he's and he's you know he's photographed some really beautiful and proper grown-up food books you know not just sort of people trying to muscle in like me and um he came to the farm it was about this time uh it was about it was about march i think and um and we were lambing and i'd been up all night so a looking rubbish be quite grumpy. And um, and I'd spent two hours trying to pen up a ewe that had given birth and then didn't want anything to do with her lamb at all. Um, and you try and put them into a pen together to bond. And I could not catch this ewe. And I've been chasing around for literally about two hours, finally get her in a pen, finally get her lamb with her, get the lamb on the teat. Everything is marvellous you know, wretched London photographer comes in and goes, oh, look at that lamb. It's brilliant. I'm going to take a photo. Opens the pen, you bolts. And I say something that I'm not allowed to say on Virgin Radio at uh, no, 20 past 11 in the morning. <laughs> or any time. Um, so, yes, it didn't start well. Um, but... Uh, yeah, he 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 did a really beautiful yeah, job. Yeah, he really, and, in fairness, and, yes, he did the business for you. And but do you look at these pictures and kind of think, you know, it, because you know, there's beautiful pictures of you kind of carrying, you know, little lovely baskets of things with the sun setting through the trees, and it all looks so idyllic. I mean, I is know, that, that your is life? My real life, is it? Graham, I always <laughs> skip through the trees at sunset, holding a little basket, always. <laughs> And don't you dare tell anyone different. Yeah, I'm just, I'm sitting here shelling peas. <laughs> <laughs> I do do that, but not necessarily in that outfit. <laughs> but it's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. So, Kate, is, you know, obviously you had your cooking segments in Escape to, to the Winter Farm, but is this the start of something new? Are you going to do just a cooking programme? I don't think so. No, not not if anything. Uh, if if the um, appearance that I made on Morning Live uh, a couple of weeks ago is anything to go by, um, I've never cooked live on telly before, and um, and that was a shambles. And I, I tripped over the dog. I didn't have the right ingredients out. Um, so uh, no, not unless anyone wants to watch someone basically just uh, yeah making a mess of everything. I don't. I don't think Nigella has got anything to fear. And are the cameras uh, following you at the moment? 
they are not, but they are about to. Um, uh, I mean, you say cameras. It's basically my husband. Okay. <laughs> with a camera. <laughs> he, he's um, unpacking uh, but, the camera as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, so we are we are doing another series. Um, so we're just sort of prepping for that now. And uh, it'll be out later in the year. And how does it work with lockdown and everything? Because you, the rural skills thing, I guess people couldn't travel, but were you, is most of what you do outdoors? So you were open more than other things? Um, no, I mean, we we had the sort of the same as everybody else, really. Either people couldn't be there or we couldn't. Uh, the, the rules in Wales were quite strict about having people together. And although some of the courses are outside, obviously we want to feed people, so they need to eat inside. Uh, we did try things like putting tents up. But as you know, it's quite windy here. Um, so often the tent ended up <laughs> upside down in a field with cows sort of standing around looking a bit kind of uh, nonplussed. Um, so we we did have to stop a lot of the courses uh, during uh, during the lockdown. But now we're sort of up and running again, um, and people can come and stay, which is really nice. So we've we're doing kind of lots of things like hedge laying at the moment. It's so it's it's very seasonal. Lambing courses start soon. Um, which is lovely. So it's it's uh, it's a great thing to be able to do to um, to give people the kind of uh, insight into farming life. And when we moved here, fourteen yeah fourteen years ago, um, and and took on a small holding and thought, oh, it, how how hard can it be to look after a hen or a pig? Quite hard, it turns <laughs> out. And there was kind of nowhere really to learn. So this that was why we set up. Uh, the Rural Skills Centre, basically for, for people like us to um, be able to make their mistakes uh, on our time rather than on theirs. Yeah, because you talk in the book about how you found your cooker when you were doing a How to Look After a Hen course yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so um, we went down to River Cottage um, uh, to Hugh Fernie Whittingstall's place um, to, to do a hen course, um, how to look after hens. And um, and it tied in with a time that Hugh was doing um, a big campaign. It was called the Chicken Out campaign. Um, and it was it was basically, um, you know, supporting the idea of, of hens being free range and, and encouraging us, the consumer, to only buy free range chicken and free range eggs. And he, you know, word got to him that I was there <laughs> trying to learn about hens. And he said, great, can, it come, can you come and do a, a, a sort of a little bit for our campaign? And I said, yeah, of course I can. And um, we had just moved here and we didn't have a cooker. We didn't have anything. The people who'd lived here before had one of those big, you know, range cookers and then um, and, and took it with them. Um, oh, our electricity's just come on. So I, th everything's, I thought everything's, that. Everything's buzzing. Sorry. Congratulations. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Yay. There will be um, lunch. <laughs> <laughs> I can finish making the half made soup I've got on the stove. Um, yeah, so, so um, yeah, we, we didn't have a cooker. And, um, and so um, I've got a lovely cooker now um thanks to Hugh Fernley Whittingstall um and I said what do you use and he said I use one of these amazing essays that are built in they're built in Barnoldswick and they've been built for 150 years in the UK and Shackleton took one to the Antarctic and I thought well if Shackleton's got one it's got to be good enough for me Wow. And it's interesting because I was thinking when you were saying about the rural skills, I was thinking, oh, I suppose that's just people who, you know, want to dip their toe in and find out the magic of nature. But of course, it's people like you and, and there must be more and more of them now, particularly after lockdown, who are starting new lives in the country and actually need these skills. 
Yeah, and it it is. And what's lovely, actually, is that over the years we've been doing it, I mean, we've been doing the courses for about 10 years now. And over the years, we've had people who've come and done courses. And then, you know, a couple of years later or a year later, uh, they've called us and said, we did it. You know, we, we, we got our small holding and, and here's, a you know, here are our first lambs. And there was one family, uh, a mother and daughter, who came and did a small holding course a few years ago and then they came and did a lambing course and we used to be able to before lockdown and hopefully we'll go back to them but we used to do 24-hour lambing courses because obviously sheep like to give birth exactly the same as people at any time of the day or night so you have to be you know you have to be able to go go uh, through the night and check them so we used to do these 24-hour courses and I would always do the night shift with everybody and um, and so I got to know uh, this lovely uh, mum and daughter Liz and Amy and um, they were living in Surrey at the time and kind of had dreams of having a small holding and about 18 months later they phoned up and they said um, uh, hey we've we've done it we've done it we've bought a small holding and I said oh great where is it and it was about six miles from the farm and Amy now works with us oh wow <laughs> so, so it's 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 lovely you know it's kind of it does feel I mean it's a bit cheesy to say it but it's a, it just does feel like an extended family and it's it's great that we you know are able to keep in touch with people who've been through some people we've had plenty of people who you know live in a flat in London and never going to keep sheep but just want the experience yeah. of lambing and that's fine too Edison Kate, thank you so much for talking to us. I'll let you get back and uh, reset all your digital clocks. (laughs) (laughs) That'll take a while. Uh, The book, the book is called Home Cooked Recipes from the Farm. It is a gorgeous uh, tome. It's just beautiful. Congratulations on it, Kate. And uh, thanks for telling us today. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Bye, Kate Humble. Thank you, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. Time to meet my second guest of the day. His memoir of former doctor, This Is Going to Hurt, spent over a year at number one on the Sunday Times bestseller chart. Now it's a television series. His name is Adam Kay. Hello, Adam. How are you? Hello, Graham Norton. I'm very well. <laughs> Woohoo! That's good to know. So this, I mean, this is your baby. You, I mean, obviously the, the, the book, huge success, great. Now you've created and written and you've executive produced the series. In terms of adapting it because obviously you know lives are messy and and a diary and a memoir is different from episodic television how hard was it to break it down into these chunks with the, with the kind of the narrative arc of of different episodes yeah it's very interesting because obviously there are some programs that can be a direct adaptation if it's a it's a crime drama or something you can imagine it's all scene by scene um if i did a direct adaptation of my diaries it would be a sort of slightly strange one-man sketch show i guess so um um and the, i guess the biggest problem though i had uh, was if i made it too accurate to my real life i would be sent to prison for breaking medical confidentiality and i'd be excommunicated from all of my friends and all of my family so it was a big exercise in in fictionalizing um quite a bit of it and i made the decision to make my character quite horrid uh, because I, but but extremely handsome. So I thought, so I went for Ben Wishaw, but Ben Wishaw being a bit mean. <laughs> and uh, because obviously, you know, as a as a writer, you know, words are all you've got. How hard was it for you to kind of back off and kind of go? Actually, on television, pictures can do a lot of this heavy lifting. I don't need to describe this because people are looking at it. 
Yeah, it turns out I'm very bad at that bit. But oh. luckily, <laughs> I had a brilliant director, uh, Lucy Forbes and Tom Kingsley, um, sort of have made it so sort of whatever the word is about being like a cinema, cinematic, cinematic and beautiful. But at the same time, um, looking very real and nhs -y. I think they've done a sort of magic trick there. Also, there's lots of um, Ben Whishaw looking, uh, looking all handsome at the camera and that helps as well. And when you're writing a memoir, or even when you're writing the script, you know, there's, you're in it and, and it's your life and it's things that happen to you. Did you learn anything new about yourself or the experiences you went through when you watched them being acted out? Uh, yes. Um, I, I realised that quite a lot of the... the the script goes from the funny to the sad, I think, because I tried to um, uh, I tried to portray what it's really like working on the wards. And sometimes there's a hugely comic moment, and sometimes and immediately followed by one of the most you know tra tragic things that could um, that could happen. And um, uh, I realised that not many people can can pull that off that dance between the funny and the, and, and the sad and and I think it's uh, it's testament to the the director and to Ben that uh, that they managed to dance that dance that line. Um, I I definitely I mean I made myself a bit meaner as I said because I thought that would be better better telly. And so the people, you know, and clearly there are what is it? I can't remember how many millions of people bought the book and love the book. Um, how will will this be kind of a, a shock to their system to come to the television series? Is it that different to the book? Um, it's got all the same elements. And what I'd love it to do is what the book achieved was being a bit of a love letter to the NHS and also shine a light um, in hopefully, a, you know, a sort of funny, but also maybe powerful way um, on the human impact of working under such extreme conditions, which I think is is something that's, extremely um, relevant and, uh, you know, after the last couple of years. And you've said it when you wrote the book, 2006, if you said, I mean, obviously the, uh, there's a pandemic, <laughs> I have noticed a pandemic, but, <laughs> but pandemic aside, how different would it be if you'd said it now, whereas the NHS about the same as it was in 2006? So some of the stuff I'm talking about in terms of the pressures that, that doctors go under, if you'd asked me two years ago, I'd say, I think things are a bit easier now, but I don't think that, uh, I don't think there's ever been a tougher period for, for healthcare professionals than the last um, couple of years. Um, there are some quite dinosaur -y consultants in there, and I imagine lots of those have, have retired by now, but hopefully even though it's a snapshot in, in time, um, and it's um, and not a you know a portrait of the NHS today. Um, the people who work for the NHS, the million and a half of those, will hopefully recognise it still. Adam Kay's adaptation of his own memoir, This Is Going to Hurt, starts Tuesday night uh, at nine o'clock on BBC One, and then available on the iPlayer. And one of the things that the series really conveys because you read about the crazy work hours of a junior doctor and it's it's quite abstract but in this you really see how just insane the working hours are and is that just because it's not just staff shortages is it just because that's the way it's always been so that's the way it's always going to be i think it's a bit of both um 
the truth is, if you're working in a system, the NHS today is short 100,000 mem members of staff. And, you know, I'm pretty sure that if Virgin Radio was short 100,000 members of staff, there'd be people would have to work quite long hours. Uh, and it's, it's the same here. So, um, you know, you're often covering you know, two, three you know, people's, people's jobs. And um, on top of that, particularly uh, when this was said in 2006, there was the culture of 97 hour weeks, which are, which are, are gladly behind us, but it was just the way it was done. And like for you going through that, I mean, just that idea, were you able to just, were you, were you, did you get good? Did you get skills of being, I can sleep for 20 minutes, I can sleep soundly for 20 minutes, or do you just kind of, do, do you go a bit doolally? A uh, bit of both, uh, but um, but it is it's one of my main skills. So uh, note if my publishers can stop listening at this point. Um, if I'm you know if I haven't uh, written the, the book I meant to have written, I need to stay up solidly for for three days. Then I'm capable of, of doing that, and my body just goes, yeah, okay, he's doing this again. Uh, now, because I, I weirdly yesterday I did read that apparently you finished your next book. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. It's oh, true. It is I, true. I, okay. It is true. Yes. So, <laughs> I, did, I did. I wrote it all in four days in a massive, massive panic before the deadline. It's called Undoctored, and that's out in September. And so, because I feel like you know we've covered your life as a as a doctor. So, is this your life up since being a doctor? Uh, it's a it's a bit of before I was a doctor, some stuff at medical school, some stuff I haven't talked about from when I was a doctor and a bit uh, afterwards and uh, might even include this interview. Sounds quite fun. Oh, great. Hey, we're in a book, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because the first book was such a, I mean, you know, a huge success. How scary is it kind of going back? I mean, obviously, you've written other books, um, but, but going back to memoir, how scary was it doing that? Um, it was it was it was interesting. Um, I've, I always keep uh, keep diaries. I write everything down that uh, that happens. Uh, back from when I was a doctor, it was my way of dealing with stuff. And even though the, the stuff I deal with these days is is less revolting and less life and death, I, I still do it. And uh, and uh, hopefully there's there's a couple of couple of good entries in there. And do you write diaries now in a slightly different way? I talked to David Sedaris about this. That you know when he was writing diaries as a, you know, as a young man, he just wrote them. Now he writes them with an, with an eye thinking, oh yeah, that's a good story. I'll publish that. Are you a bit like that now? Yeah, no, definitely. Before it was my way of coping. Now I'm thinking, yeah, I could probably sell this. <laughs> yeah, not a moment wasted. It's, <laughs> it, it's all, it's all going to turn into money. Um, and what are you going to be doing on Tuesday at nine o'clock? Will you sit down and watch the show? Uh, no, I won't. Uh, because I find it uh, very embarrassing to to uh, to, um, to even I can't watch myself being uh, back on being interviewed. I definitely can't uh, watch my words being. Do you go and watch you know watch back your old shows and listen to your old radio shows? Him, well, the show is the radio show is live, so but the TV show. If I'm in on a Friday night, I do watch it because I kind of think I can't expect anyone else to watch it if I can't be bothered to. <laughs> Oh, yeah, and I guess it helps with the ratings, doesn't it? Actually, I will watch it. Yeah, I, I mean, really think yeah, you should. Exactly. I really think you should. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, listen, congratulations, Adam. I mean, what an enormous achievement. That is a, that is a, a, what an amazing moment for you to see this hit the screen with Ben Wishaw in the leading role playing Dr. Adam. Uh, this is going to hurt Tuesday, 9 o'clock, BBC One and iPlayer. Thank you so much, Adam Kay. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thanks, Graham. All right, bye. 
Well, there you go. Thank you so much for joining me on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast so you can hear a new episode of the best of bits from the show from early Monday morning. I'll speak to you very soon. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. You can taste when it's Waitrose. Virgin Radio. 